Welcome to Online. I'm Jenny Robb. Uh, today we continue uh, featuring Frank Giampaolo, um, the author of The Psychology of Tennis Parenting. There we go. Um, Frank is internationally renowned as a coach, as a speaker, um, as a, a million other wonderful things. Uh, so Frank, we're so fortunate to have you with us today. Um, today we're going to dive into chapter seven. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. Let's Let's go for it, everybody. <laughs> uh, so the title of chapter seven is Sabotaging Athletic Performance. And the quote you use is uh, discomfort leads to growth. Um, so I love this. So kind of uh, explain to us how you got to this chapter. <laughs> um, after teaching the high-performance kids for you know, it's a, it's 30 years now for me. So it's, it's, it's been, you know, I have a lot of experience with it. And most of the time, what I find is that when kids lose, it's not the situation. It's not even the opponent. It's usually their own personal choices and habits that they make during the match that kind of sabotages their own performance. And so, yeah, this whole idea about, you know, discomfort and, improvement lies in, in, in their willingness to kind of leave their comfort zone behind and, and dive headfirst, you know, into fear and things that are uncomfortable. That's right. And without jumping right back into what's comfortable, a lot of kids maybe dip their toe into it, but they don't really buy into it. And But on the other side of that uh, being uncomfortable phase, that's where the mastery of the skill lives. That's right. So... So I um the the first subtitle that you have is when advice creates drama and you write uh, uh, the learning environment becomes more challenging when an athlete can't separate the role of a loving parent and a demanding coach. That's well said. <laughs> um learning environment becomes more challenging. So that's what you were just alluding to. Um if there's a change, if there's a tweak to, to something and you talked about buying in and a willingness to to make a change. Um, but especially with this statement involving the the parent, the role of a parent and the role of a coach. And I've known quite a few um, parent coaches uh, as 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 you certainly have. Um, and that that dual role is is certainly challenging in itself. Um, so so tell us a little bit about this when the learning environment becomes more challenging when an athlete can't separate the role of a loving parent and a demanding coach. Well, I think it gets there gets to be a time where a parent coach um, they have to be willing to step back and let their athletes hear different points of view, different perspectives, but most importantly, just different ways of selling the same information. Um, you know, often we hear parents say, you know, I told my kid that a thousand times and right. he doesn't listen. Well, but maybe the parent was knocking on the, the wrong door the whole time. Um, so instead of telling them what to do, if you're a parent, another door to try to enter would be to um, 
instead of telling them what to do, ask them what do they think they should do differently. And I think that's really important that, well, parents, I think, should really understand um, when you tell somebody what to do, that's a real extrinsic force, but it really challenges their ego. Um, yeah. when, when you ask them, it's more intrinsic. So it it kind of more challenges their decision-making abilities and it makes them feel more accountable. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, you tell them and then the ego comes into play. Absolutely. You ask them and it doesn't, right? Absolutely. So you, you go on to say the athlete's perceived lack of a consistent, caring parental relationship often instigates and prolongs dramatic coaching exchanges. The parent-coach dual role can make it more difficult for the athlete to regulate emotions, develop confidence, or build a trusting athlete-coach bond. Um, that's, a, that's a whole lot in that statement. Um, it so is. Break, break it down a little bit. Well, um, I, I think that the the when their when their development is not increasing every week, if they're not improving every week, mm-hmm. now we have to all look back and step back and try to figure out what can we do to re kickstart the momentum, and it's momentum stacking really that we're yes. seeking, right? Yes, absolutely. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's habit habit stacking that type of thing. Um, Often I think that uh, parents, if you understand that there's so many very important job descriptions that you have and being on the coach as a hitting coach might not be one of them. That's okay. Most of the pros on the tour have parents that are very involved. So without a parent like you, they have no there's no, there's no way they can do it without a loving parent that's buying into the whole process. So they need you. That's and right. you know that, but, but I think if the parent understands that maybe they should step back and have their role be um, scheduling or logistics. Um, it could even be even more important than the on-court hitting, but it could be uh, encapsulating these, uh, these life skills that, their child needs to learn. They need to develop positive character traits, yes. a moral compass, right? Right. Who, nobody's teaching that. And then so parents take that role um, because honestly, you got, and you know, uh, even intuitively, you guys know that without great perseverance and courage and resiliency and without great time management, your kids are going to fall short. Right. So That's take life skills serious, right? Absolutely. I mean, you you have a great list here in this first section mm. um, where where you offer as a solution. Um, and just as a side note, the way that you set it up in each chapter, for, for those of you who have not gotten the book yet, here it is. <laughs> um, Frank usually sets up the chapters with, with the you know, subtitles and and then a situation and then a solution. And so when we move into um, the solution to this first uh, subtitle, uh, you write um, a gesture 
parental, excuse me, adjust your parental coaching role to keep the love of the sport and the love between you and your athlete alive. Your athlete will feel free to express their needs and wants without fearing losing their parents' love and respect. And so it just affirms what you were just talking about, how this dual role um, for parents, and, and there's already so many uh, parental job descriptions, um, but then that freedom, I love the word free in there, that freedom for the athlete to not just say what they think their coach parent wants to hear or yeah. parrot back um, the the idea, you know, but the freedom to express their needs and wants um, without the fear of losing that that parental that loving parental relationship that that all all kids need um it, it just to me i think of a time that uh i was i was working with a kid and um the parent was also um a coach and we were good friends and parent was a good player had played in college and was very involved and it it would get tricky at times when say that the in this particular case that I'm remembering that that this child had split sets it's going into a third and his uh parent and I are sitting together and mm -hmm. the, so it's time for for someone to talk to the kid before the third uh set and and it's like I sort of looked at at the parent and the parents sort of looked at me and we're looking at the player and I go down there um to to speak through the fence uh, to this player but I noticed that he was kind of looking over my shoulder um yeah. at at uh his parent there and so I kind of realized okay he's actually probably not listening to anything I'm saying he's actually kind of looking over at, at his parent and so I kind of looked over and and just waved the parent over and I was like hey come on down and um and so I kind of stepped back and and watched the two of them interact and um I didn't have your handbook at that time Frank <laughs> <laughs> and so it was a tricky situation I bet and um, so, so navigating that, you know, that that's just from from my perspective, but thinking yeah. of the kid playing and the parent there, it got a little bit uh, confusing. And so, you know, ultimately, you, the kid that needs the advice wants to hear it from who he's basically trusting the most, like you were talking about, like yeah. a willingness to to listen and the willingness to take in what uh the, the parent coach or me at that time as as the other coach <laughs> uh yeah. so, so so explain a little bit um about navigating an experience like that where you have the yeah. coach I guess is is the parent but then you have a, another coach which during this time was was me <laughs> and um where where that balance trying to find that balance um it, it is very it's a tricky path I mean it's 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 yeah. um so, so help us out yeah. with, with what that looks like yeah well 
it is a it's a it's a difficult situation um, for sure. I think that's something that you know the parent and the coach and the athlete should talk about ahead of time, which would be presetting solutions, right? As to who's gonna who's gonna coach uh, if it does get to a you know there's a tiebreaker. It's it's important, I think, for parents to realize that the athlete is almost emotionally hijacked at that stage going into that third set super tiebreaker uh it's very challenging for them so they really hear the sounds coming out of your mouth but they don't really actively listen to the message right so in my opinion what i found that works for me anyway is i have the child take the really two or three slow deep breaths and, and I just say, look, just repeat after me. I'm going to give you three tips that'll help you win the match. And I'm, they're very simple. And you have to repeat them three times so I know that you digest it. So I would just say basic things like serve to the back end, serve to the back end, serve to the back end. <laughs> right. and, and then maybe it might even be whatever the situation calls for, but it might be, you know, Approach their back end. Approach their back end. Right. Just approach the back end. And then keep deep balls deep. Just keep your deep balls deep. And I make them repeat it calmly three times. And if we can be calm, it models their behavior just to get calm. And if they can repeat it three times, they'll probably remember it. That's right. So anyway, um, it is a tough, it's a tough situation. Um and uh, it's a learning curve for a lot of people, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. Mm. You know, so, so I think what what you just said was is so important to to take in um, from each each role, each position. Um, yeah. As the parent, as as the player, as as a coach, and so I love that you say that. You know, to have a routine in place ahead of time so as you were saying like the parent and I would know you know if it gets into this this third set situation and coach you know what's best for the player you know what's what to be able to kind of work that out ahead of time it's interesting how we talk about it for the players we talk about their rituals and routines and there are rituals and routines for for the coach and the parent as well, and that would be one of them. And so, yes. I think it's so important to address. And so, so thank you for that. It's so important because I feel like, you know, there really are a lot of uh, parent coaches out there, as you were saying before. And so, to to for everyone to be on the same page is is just um, incredibly important. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I just finished yesterday doing the uh, the high performance the USTA thing with the uh, kids going to you know the the hard courts. Anyway, um, one of the topics that the parents had, uh, and I think at least half of the parents agreed with this is, should we stay and watch the match? And and some, and the answer is if it helps, yes. If it hurts, no. I think parents have to realize that if your child is looking over at you after every mistake, hoping you didn't catch it, or when you hit a big winner and hoping that they're pleasing you, right? Uh, then, then they're playing two, two matches simultaneously. One, they're trying to please the parent, 
and try not to get in trouble while they're also trying to, you know, beat a tough opponent in a, in a, in a gold ball event. That's difficult. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So, yep. Parents, I think if you find that they're um, reacting negatively to you watching, um, try not to be uh, confrontational and say, well, you don't even want me there. And just say, look, I have a lot of work to do. We're, we're really busy. I'm going to be sitting in the car and I'm in the parking lot. Come get me if you need me, but uh, I'm not going to be able to watch for the next couple of weeks because I have a lot of work to do. And now that the athletes, you know, left to their own devices, right? Which encourages, uh, it encourages the athlete to, we go back to that word freedom or I do and, um, mm -hmm. You know, and it's a freedom for them to make decisions. It's a freedom to figure out, you know, whatever the the yeah. the challenge in front of them is, without constantly looking over at that parent. And I, I think it it is very freeing for the parent as well to not be hanging on every point necessarily. If the parent says, "Hey, yeah. I'm going to be in the car. I'm here if you need me." So it's that still, they're still saying, I'm here, I'm supporting you, you know, I'm here if you yeah. need me. But yeah. also a level of trust of, you know, I trust that you're going to make good decisions. I trust yeah, beautiful. You, yeah, beautifully you know, said. It's, it's that, true. Yeah, I mean, that, that freedom basically is just what. Like, yeah. yeah. And you're teaching them also that blame shifting um, is not a really terrific character trait. So. You know, you hear kids, and I hear it a lot, that go, well, look, well, my dad shook his head when it was 3-3 in the second set, and that's why I lost. Right. You know, but obviously there are some parents that, you know, cling onto the fence, and they're yelling and screaming through the fence. That's right. that's a different animal, though, right? Right. Uh, yes, definitely. Um, so the next section um, in Chapter 7 uh, oh. is Suffering Defeat Times 3. <laughs> mm. um, and this is something that we have uh, addressed before, but, you know, you, you write, you know, one is the, the initial defeat itself, two is going over it again in the car ride home, and then three, if the parent is uh, debriefing the coach at the next lesson, and so it's like over and over and over that the player is um, <laughs> feeling that defeat, the sting of that, that hurts, Um so you say in the book, suffering three separate times for each loss is something no athlete should have to endure. Um, so, so let's let's dig a little deeper into that idea. Well, it it does it it does um, affect the athlete, right? And yep. all the words that parents say, they really buy into it. Yep, and. Uh, so if you're back in, if, if they're hearing, sometimes what you say is not what they actually hear, but if, if they perceive that you're saying your backhand stinks, what are they going to think in the next match when they have to hit a backhand down the line passing shot? They're not going to have very much confidence in these skills that if we're giving them a laundry list of all the reasons why they're broken, That's right. they're going to believe they're broken really, but but nowadays, even the athletes, they suffer the same defeat four times. They, because as soon as they get off the court, they go get on their phone and they get on social media and, and and UTR and they, everybody knows who won or lost within you know 
That's right. 20 minutes. That's right. And so it's not like the old days, man. They they all know. I'm so, so glad you brought that up because that that is a point that that definitely is a meaningful thing to think about you know like we've said we've already said the the initial defeat itself and then you know if you're rehashing everything on the car ride home and and if especially if that's in a negative light and then again to the coach during the the lesson time but like you're saying you know it's a whole nother dimension with social media when yeah people can put out there what just happened instantaneously and also, like you, you said, with, with UTR, where the ratings are fluid and you can see it immediately. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's something that, that is relatively new for players yeah. to, have to add to their burden, so to speak, um, that, that players in previous generations didn't necessarily have to take into uh, um, account. But, but it's definitely... Yeah definitely such an important part um today <laughs> yeah and you remember we talk a lot about this in the book with athletes controlling what they can control and i think parents have that same responsibility so they can't control the first loss it, it happens on court the second loss which is the post-match bantering they can control that right mm-hmm. they can they can observe and even ask the athlete, uh, when are they emotionally stable to talk about the match? Because we have to decompress after stress, right? We have to give them time to digest. Yep. Uh, Yep. Sometimes people get them in the car right in the parking lot at the club and you see them yelling at their kid. And so probably it's not in your best interest. With these post-match dialogues, remember that, ask don't tell so what were you feeling at this stage and what would you do differently if you got to do that all over again and then you know like can i share some of the observations from the sidelines and i would if i were the parent nowadays i would just have the athlete write down three topics they did well three topics they didn't do well in every match and then text that to the coach every sunday right at the end of the tournament Right, right. If parents can do the same thing. Look, parents, write down your, I mean, don't write a whole book. Respect your your coach's time, but write the three things your athlete did really well. And then just type in on your phone three things they didn't do that well. Maybe you want them to focus on it the next week. Just text it to the to the hitting coach. Right. So right. Um yeah. that way you don't even have to do the third banter, right? That where they ask right. that the parent walks on the court. Right and, and embarrasses the the athlete by talking about all the things they did wrong. So I guess there's two of those you can alleviate right now. You know, and, and so in your solution, just affirming what you already said just now, um, you write uh, begin with setting boundaries regarding when and where match reviews take place. And so just you just um, alluded to that beautifully when you start saying, okay. Um, this amount of time, you know, we're not going to tackle this right now, you know, take into, like you're saying, take into the account, um, the emotional place that, that the player is in. And so again, as you've said before, one of the parental roles is sort of 
meeting the player, the child, meeting them where they are um, versus yeah. where, where you might be. Um, and so I think that's that's an important part of, you know, how many times the, the player has to suffer that defeat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is sometimes the time sensitive, right? Like often they, um, they might win a match and it was maybe a, a difficult match and they have to play again in an, in an hour and a half. So you, you might have to debrief sooner or maybe they're going into the backdrop and you have to debrief sooner. Um, I also would recommend don't calling, don't call the second, uh, the backdrop. Don't call that like the loser's draw or the backdrop. Right. Just call it the second tournament of the weekend because oh, you still yeah. get rating and ranking points in these things. So that's right. I think it's meaningful that kids don't view it as, oh, I'm in the loser's draw. I'm yeah. just in this, you, now I'm in the second it? tournament. Yeah. Well, so it's, it's, how do you frame it? Yeah. 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 You know, and that, that goes to, and and you, you mentioned this, this earlier, but you say, okay, the next section is life skills through tennis. Mm -hmm. And you say, most often sports don't teach life skills. They expose them. Competition reveals underdeveloped life skills. The athlete has to be taught how to improve that individual skill set. So mm. let, let, let's, let's again, uh, get <laughs> deeper into that. There's, there's a lot there. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it isn't it. Uh, but one thing you guys know, and, and, and intuitively, we all know that college coaches don't just seek an athlete with a good backhand, right? But they want to make their job as peaceful and easy as possible. Right. And having one crazy negative character on the team can kind of destroy the whole team atmosphere. Yep. So they really, they really take this part seriously. They 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 look at the the life skills mm -hmm. and the character traits of the and and that so of the parents. Mm -hmm. and, and I know when my when my daughter went to play at USC, USC, the parent, the, both coaches came over, you know, multiple times and had dinner at the house and they want to see the, the family atmosphere. Yep. They want to see what they're getting into. All those different right? dynamics. Yes. They want to see the different <laughs> dynamics for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is just an, an aside. Um, but, uh, uh, friend of mine that that's been um in the college coaching world um who before getting into the college coaching world had been a club pro and um the one of the few times that we spoke about you know his his transition from being in a club to being a college coach you know, and, and it was something I had never thought about really. And he said, well, you know, as a club pro, you know, I'm getting paid by the, the client mm -hmm. and as a college coach, I'm the one controlling the money. <laughs> you know, I'm the one giving the money instead of I'm the one receiving the money. And I had never thought of that perspective before. Yeah. Well, there's there's some freedom right there that he said <laughs> now he can say, you know, exactly what he wants to say. Where often, you know, a, a country club coach or a private coach has to really be careful because sometimes the parents are unknowingly sabotaging the child's mental skills, but mm -hmm. the parents are the one paying the coach. 
Mm -hmm. So can you imagine going to your boss saying, look, man, it's your fault. (laughs) (laughs) You get fired in a second in the real world. That's right. So, so those, the, those different dynamics. um, Yeah. Definitely play a part in the whole, in the whole journey. Um, You go on to say in, in the um, solution section of this uh, segment of the chapter that psychosocial competence or life skills or abilities and behaviors that enable athletes to deal with the demands and challenges of competition on and off the tennis court. Be mindful of who's developing the character traits of your child daily. The type of individual your child becomes is dictated by who is nurturing them. Um, that's yeah. huge. Well, that's well said. Let me just say it. I, I was reading straight out of the book there. So. Sure. Oh, way to go. Well, look, I think parents, you know that once they have pretty solid mechanical strokes and not perfect nobody's perfect but they're pretty efficient once they have strokes now it's now the winning matches depends on courage resiliency yes being able to reset at the moment and handling right and these are all the life skills and if i would even do this um if i was a parent in these days i would just google important life skills Mm-hmm. have go through them with go through the list with your child circle right. every one that you both think is weak right and then it's your it's your child's job to do research and development they have to google oh, whatever right. they have to google perseverance yes okay write their own definitions okay. and how they're gonna yeah. overcome it and, and improve it mm-hmm. and boy that would be a wonderful job for tennis parents wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. No, that's fantastic. <laughs> you know, I, I love there at the end, so it says the type of individual your child becomes is dictated by who is nurturing them. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's similar. Oh, it's, it's similar to, um, I've heard, uh, you know, you're going to be more like the people that you spend the most time with, you know, like mm-hmm. the five people that you're around the most, you're going to, you yeah. gonna, be reflecting, you know, that, that relationship. And so I think it goes to, again, like we, as we've, we've spoken about before, how important it is for this relationship between the parent, the coach and the child to, in order to just work at even a basic level, that communication has to be there. And, you know, the, the, values um mm-hmm. between the three places is so important because that player is you know spending a whole lot of time yeah <laughs> with, yeah. with that coach <laughs> and so it's important to evaluate who are the people that are that are influencing your your child and as a parent you know that's a tough ad when you're looking for that other coach, you know, you have to be able to find yeah. someone that you gel with or communicate with or share the same values or, you know, trust all those things to, to make the relationship work. And <laughs> guys, especially in, you know, the, the smaller towns and communities across the country, mm-hmm. um, you know, at first when your child gets into tennis, we, we just put them into a tennis clinic that's, 
the closest one to our house, right? Mm -hmm. That's the whole issue. Just find yeah. something close. Convenient. But now yeah. they get a little bit, you know, they're more advanced and they're really yeah. seeking maybe even to play college ball. A lot of coaching now is just done through Zoom. Right. Um, you know, so most most of the clients I work with nowadays, it's it's Zoom sessions. Um, so, and there's a lot of match play video analysis and even stroke video analysis that, that we do. But yeah, don't feel like it's stuck in your, that your, your coaching options are stuck in your town. There's a lot of great coaches out there. So. Yep. Yeah. No. So, so important. Um, and that leads right into, so the next section of chapter seven, um, you, you have the subtitle of knowledge versus wisdom. Mm. And those are two words that, that come with a lot of, uh, you yeah. know, what, what you, what makes you believe what those words are about, you know, um, and you go on to say, you know, one who understands what to say has knowledge, one who understands when to say it, you know, that that's wisdom. Um, yeah. And so, um, <laughs> again, sort of an aside here, but um, if you're familiar at all with uh, the serenity prayer, um, you know, grant me the serenity to accept the things yeah. I cannot change the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like, wow, that, that was my antennas went up and I was like, yes, the, the, the difference there, the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, <laughs> <laughs> the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Um, so I think that that applies well. <laughs> to it sure situation. does. Wow. <laughs> You know, I think parents from your side with that topic, um, knowing when to pick a battle, it's important. So as you're driving your athletes to tennis practice, that's not the time to start to banter about their poor grades or how they're misbehaving at home. Right. Once you get your athlete into this catastrophic negative mindset, it sabotages the lesson coming up. And, and same thing applies before matches, right? You're not you're not really supposed to talk about outcome desires and what your UTR is going to be if you win and what it's going to be if you lose. And uh, it's very important that knowing when to talk about topics. Uh, so just keep that in the back of your mind, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so you go on to say in this section, again, this section is knowledge versus wisdom. You say there are obstacles to communication between a parent, coach, and the young athlete. Um, so of course there's always going to be obstacles, you know, so, so it gets into what we were just talking about, how finding that coach, which it might evolve from, you know, the, the most convenient program, uh, the one that fits in the schedule, um, which is important, you know, of course. Um, but then moving on from that, if if the child, you know, you want to move to a next spot, you might have to consider making a change. Um, and that that can be hard, but finding that right fit is is incredibly important. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Um and I think with this topic, and I know we've talked about this in the past, but choosing optimism and choosing 
to focus on the things your athlete is doing right will promote them to do more right things. Right. And if you're choosing to focus on everything your child's doing wrong, it, it really does kind of sabotage their will to keep improving. Yep. So, yep. and you know, imagine if you, every day you go to work and at the end of the day, your boss comes in and goes, now here's the nine things you did wrong today, Harold. Uh, it, that would be like devastating to work in that environment. But absolutely. Parents do that to their kids after, you know, after they play. And so be careful. I mean, you got, I'm sure the parents are aware, but about 70% of all the athletes that play sports, every sport, they quit by the early teens. They quit playing sports. Yep. And across the board in every, in every sport, the number one first reason was crazy parents. Right. Yeah. And so it's out there. So it might not be you. And I'm probably the people that are listening to this are not in that boat. To me, the people that the craziest ones don't have any interest in, in, in learning and they're not probably listening. That's right. To this, right? That's right. Sir, they that's already right. know. They know yeah. it all. Yeah. Preaching to the choir. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I love the word awareness. We, we've uh, talked about awareness before, but you go on in the book to say awareness of the athlete's attention, lack of interest or difference in opinion is a start you know, before any educational or motivational lecture begins. Think about what is happening in their world. And you go on to list children often don't hear the message you're attempting to send. They tend to magnify the negatives and quickly forget the positives. And you say children tend to pick up nonverbal clues and tone of voice before the content of your insightful tip. So think about how and when you're delivering your message. And it, it but it all starts with the very first word in that whole whole thing that with awareness. Yeah. Awareness. And, and so be aware of their own uh tone of voice and whether they're positive or negative. And you can do something that's a little bit tricky, but next time you have a tennis discussion, just take your cell phone on the side and just press record and with the with the audio dictation app that, and record the whole conversation. Yep. And, and and not to accuse anybody of anything, but to listen to your own. Uh, tone of voice, mm -hmm. how many positives versus negative statements you're saying. And, and, and obviously, because you're aware that you're recording, it might be a little bit different, but you'll still pick up some. <laughs> and that helped me a lot when I was when I was younger. Yeah, I mean, you might surprise yourself, you know. You might. Oh, you know, when I was in in that moment, that is not how I perceived how things went. And so yeah. looking back, you go, wait, that's not what I meant, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. So what you're saying there, there's so much uh, validity there to, again, awareness of the parent of going, okay, am, am I aware of the mental, emotional, physical state of the player? And then am I aware of my own, emotional state um, yeah. and how the message is going to come across, whether it with that tone, like you're saying, the time, the tone, you know, all these things. Um, and so when you get into the solution section of, of, of this subtitle, you say wisdom involves 
walking into the listener's needs an emotional perspective before communication begins. So again, getting into their world and yes. then say, focus on giving without expecting, argue less, stop comparing your child with their peers, avoid, avoid participating in gossip, eliminate judgment and choose not to live vicariously through your child. That's a great list of a lot of big topics <laughs> that does have a lot of big topics and it's not it's not easy no it's not they're all natural human behaviors right that's right that's right and that's so important to point out because again like we have said i think in every episode you know we're here to the reason that we're doing all this the reason you wrote the book you know, um, I'd rather hear it from you than from me, but, <laughs> you know, is we're here to help the parents. We're not against the parents. You know, so often the, the bad rap um, or avoidance um, it comes into play. And really, as as we know, as you point out with the, the book is for it, for the best chance of success that the parent, the coach and the player need to have a good dichotomy a good working relationship to be able to reach the goals and the things that the player wants to do um yeah. so i just love you know you say like i said uh, i'll repeat you know wisdom involves locking into the listener's needs and emotional perspective before communication begins and um and i think that that again it it, it goes beyond just a player coming off the court, you know, in, in life, yes. <laughs> in it, life, this, this definitely applies. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's the routines and rituals that they're going to, they're going to model. They're going to copy these things. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, absolutely. Anyway, look, look deeper into that. I think that would be meaningful. And, uh, yes. I, I mean, we could do a whole podcast just on that. This one, I'll repeat it real quick, but you know, focus on giving without expecting, argue less, stop comparing your child with their peers, avoid participating in gossip, eliminate judgment, and choose not to live vicariously through your child. We could just, we could do a whole segment on that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but moving, moving on, um, staying in this chapter chapter seven uh the the subtitle of this next section is discomfort is good and that's something you alluded to right at the beginning of of yeah. the session where you say discomfort is the first sign of progress in the realm of athletic development temporary discomfort creates growth and and it feels like we should know that but but seeing it in black and white and saying it out loud kind of brings it a little more into, again, perspective and awareness of, you know, willingness. We've, we've talked about that word, you know, but, but what, how you respond to discomfort, how, how yeah. the leader responds to discomfort, how the parent responds to discomfort, the coach as well. So this, this idea in this section of, discomfort is good you know th that's a, a a big um i don't know if obstacle is the right word but it's a it's a big thing to cross of how you it is. how you yeah. 
on to discomfort. So, so, so yeah, let, let's um, tell us a little bit more about how discomfort is good. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, this is kind of a light bulb kind of moment. One of those, one of those times where as you get older, you, we all slip into the, the choice that comfort is good. We want a comfortable home, right. And a comfortable car and comfortable <laughs> job and, we, so we want all the comforts, but we forget that if you're trying to be a world-class athlete, a top collegiate athlete, it's not about comfort right now. It's about seeking discomfort because that's where growth lives and improvement lives. And we know that really the parents that focus on growth and improvement every week, not the outcomes, they're not trying to, they're not trying to, to uh, achieve more trophies, really. They're not accumulating that. They're trying to achieve growth growth that's right right so you know whether it's strokes or athleticism or even the mental or emotional skills um typically i think everybody knows too that typically uh athletes and most coaches choose to focus on the hardware right so the strokes and the athleticism right which happens for three or four seconds and but they don't work on the software, mental and emotional. Right. And that's right. the 20 seconds in between. And um, that's uncomfortable. It's not comfortable for coaches to work on that because they're not familiar with it. Mm-hmm. They're just comfortable feeding balls to the back end and rallying and tweaking strokes, which we all need that. We need good strokes. But it goes deeper than that. So even with myself trying to create these books for parents it really just helps me learn and you know the more you try to teach a topic the more you learn right that's right and 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 just as a a quick side note um you know obviously we've been going through uh the psychology of tennis parenting um mm. but but frank um has authored uh other best-selling books um as far as the, the tennis parents bible and coming soon breaking news here first yeah. <laughs> um frank uh has in production um a set of of what we're referring to right now is is an encyclopedia and so expanding on the idea of a guide um because navigating this journey is a big undertaking such a big undertaking so so be on the lookout uh because soon we will be um talking about uh, uh expanding on these ideas and um and delving deeper uh but back to the the content right here at hand in the in your solution section of, uh, of this chapter you say athletes can expand their comfort zone only by first experiencing discomfort and so that's what we were just alluding to saying you know that's how you stretch the comfort zone you know you start here and then and then it's comfortable then then what's uncomfortable gets comfortable and then you have yep. to go a little further. You know, it's, it's funny, a uh, um, quick story of a player uh, that I had worked with when they were in juniors um, and could have played some some smaller school college ball, but chose to, to not pursue that. Um, came back and said, Hey, you know, wanted to get on the book and, and let's, uh, let's have a lesson or some time, whatever for practice. And we get out there and um, we are starting to look at her serve 
And um, I was starting to say some things, little tweaks here and there to try. And she just, she turned around and looked at me and she goes, is this new? Is this new stuff? (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I was like, well, not necessarily, but you know, <laughs> so, so, so it just, I had gotten the impression that where she was, she just wanted to get out and hit some balls. Yeah. You know, right, when I right. started to say, well, maybe try this or, or let's maybe do, do that. She, she was like, whoa, whoa, is this, is this new stuff? Like, <laughs> Isn't that great? it was so funny. I have, I have such a, such a, a visceral, um, response even thinking about it now that like I had not until that point realized that she she wanted to hit some balls she you know get kind of get in a groove get in a rhythm good workout you know but the idea of introducing something new at that point um there was no interest there (laughs) and that's okay yeah you know I mean mean, that's okay but you have to know it and so then I had to switch years in my mind like oh okay yeah she's not here to get from a to b she's here to just get a get a good you know do happy where she is (laughs) but let's get a good but let's get in a good hit (laughs) yeah that's good sometimes they they just want to groove and sweat and you know a lot of times you're right though i hear it they athletes come out and they go i really need to improve but don't change my game. Right. And you're like, oh, boy. <laughs> that's, that's hard. That's, it's fear, yeah. you know, it's fear of Absolutely. losing. It's fear, yes. But that's fine. You know, so so it goes right into the next section, which you you have the subtitle of, and I love this part, um, what ifs. So you mm. say, Peak performance in sports occurs when the athlete has a relaxed mental state and heart rate and a feeling of calm, controlled aggression. That's a great sentence. (laughs) So the the idea of peak performance and the idea of a relaxed mental state, heart rate, a feeling of calm, and then the idea of controlled aggression, that's such a good recipe for general success on a tennis court <laughs> yeah whenever uh, whenever we're under pressure it's all about letting the subconscious mind drive the ship yep and your conscious editing judgmental mind is not invited and so it's a tough thing it's an inner battle to keep that away right right keep the judgmental mind at bay it's hard to do it is hard to do it's definitely hard to do and and so you go on to say overthinking about the what ifs is toxic because they contaminate the mind with swirling unwanted thoughts. And I'm like, me. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, we're all like that. You know, I read that and I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> overthinking the what ifs. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, contaminating the mind with swirling unwanted thoughts it's like i've been there <laughs> <laughs> what did you i've read this and i think one of the psychology magazines but most people have 50 to sixty thousand thoughts a day wow okay and so we're trying to tell athletes look you're going to play two matches a day in this tournament it's average 130 points 
a match. So two for 260 points. So, you know, for about three hours, we want you to focus on six performance goals. That is so hard to do. That's so hard. Yeah. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> definitely, definitely a hard thing to do. And uh, you go on to say in this section that athletes who worry about outcome consequences during the match lose focus on their game plan and get in the way of their performance. Um, so I love that that sentence because there's certainly been so many times when I've been watching a match and I'm like, you know, gosh, they can't get out of their own way, you know, <laughs> and so I think. You know, the idea of, yes, you know, oh, I don't want to lose to this person or, oh, I'm winning. I'm doing great. And, you know, the, picturing yourself holding a trophy or, you know, <laughs> both sides of that coin overthinking the what ifs, you know, what if I lose? What if I win? You know, <laughs> you know, but I, I like that you use the word toxic because they contaminate. I think contaminate is a great word the mind with swirling unwanted thoughts. And so going back to the other word I love, awareness, your mm. awareness can be contaminated by the their perception of the performance. And so that's some pretty deep stuff. Um, I love it, but that's some pretty deep, deep stuff. So, so de describe that a little bit more about, I'll read it one more time. So um, overthinking about the what ifs is toxic because they contaminate the mind with swirling unwanted thoughts. Athletes who worry about outcome consequences during the match lose focus on their game plan and get in the way of their performance. Well, I, I, a simple way to think about this topic is that there's something called um, channel capacity, right? With, with neuroscience and all that means really is that the human brain can't really focus on two complicated tasks simultaneously. It's okay. like, it's why we're supposed to text and drive. Right. Right. Okay. If, if our athletes are in two different worlds, like if you imagine like remote control for the TV, if they're on a channel of all the what ifs, what if I win? What if I lose? Where's the trophy going in my room? What are my friends going to say? If they're in that channel, now they're not in their performance goal frame of mind channel, which Correct. is how do I win mm -hmm. this point right now? Mm -hmm. And so really what, what's happening is they, they're shifting back and forth from, from these two very different channels. And this is why mental training is really important because right. we've all seen it. And, I, and I've heard a million parents say, they don't lose to the opponent, man. They just beat themselves all the time. My yeah. kid beat herself, that kind of thing, right? Yep, yep, all and the time. You're talking all about. Yep. Like, <laughs> so uh, that that beautifully takes us into, again, the way that you frame these chapters. And so going into the solution segment mm -hmm. here, um, you say, educate your athlete to shift from a, worrier mindset to a warrior mindset um of course you know as the english major nerd that i am i love plays on words like that but <laughs> you know uh -huh. the, shift, <laughs> the shift from a warrior mindset to a warrior mindset um you say shifting to a warrior mindset begins and ends with better rituals 
um, and you go into internal and external, um, you know, whether in between points, your external, like what I would do, I would walk back towards the fence. Yeah. Whether I needed to towel off or not, I'm going to go to my towel. I'm going to look at the strings of my racket. Even if they haven't moved, I'm going to look at the strings, you know, go to the towel, go to the strings. Those are external things, deep breaths, um, yeah. internal, you're talking about self-awareness, opponent awareness, score mm -hmm. management, you know, the list goes on. And so even in these small segments of time during the match, you know, I love that you start out. The very first word is educate. He said, educate your athlete to shift from a warrior mindset to a warrior mindset. And then we go into what that means um, externally and internally. And I just, I, I just love that. <laughs> well, isn't it meaningful to you that the parents have to avoid being uh, somebody that's an excessive worrier? Because if the parents are worrying they really promote that. Yep. And, and kids start to worry because right. they're going to model you, right? You, you can feel the energy, you know, the yeah. energy that that gives off. Yeah. yeah. Right on. So, yeah, it is a mind shift. It happens way before matches start. That's why it's important, too, that we, we don't allow our kids to go hang out and socialize right before their match. Right. Because they're not morphing into a warrior. And, and before right. matches, right, they want that that mindset, you know, of, um, I think it's, uh, rugby in New Zealand. So I'm outside of my normal <laughs> realm uh, here, but, um, before a, a rugby match, uh, they do the haka. Am I saying that right? The, uh, the, all, the all blacks. Yeah. Yes. The all blacks. Yes. That's exactly what I'm talking. You know, they, they have this ritual, and when I think of a warrior, you know, I'm like, wow, the way that they stomp and the way that they're, you know, I don't know if screaming is not the right word, but, but the, you know, how they're, you know, yeah. out there, you know, if I was on the other team and didn't know that they did this, I'd be scared <laughs> to death. <laughs> Very intimidating, isn't it? You know, you know, I mean, the way Nadal would would go out before a match, how he would sprint out onto the court and, and you know, he brings this energy and that can yes. be so intimidating. And it's like, how do you respond to it? Do you kind of want to bounce around a little bit? So now you're changing what your <laughs> normal routine is or are you kind of just go like, oh, oh, no, like. <laughs> well, I think that energy is, um, remember, is customized to. To each individual, some people might play way better, maybe like a Roger Federer, who's just chill. And he was just like calm. And then right. the polar opposite was a Rafael Nadal, right? Like if you if you watch there's a YouTube, he's jumping up and down in the locker room and he hits his head on the roof. There's one. Yeah, I've seen that one. That's right. <laughs> and that was a long way up. I mean, this guy can jump, but yeah. You know, think, well, the whole idea isn't one of his nicknames like the Toro, you know, it's so when oh, you yeah. think of like Spain and like the running of the bulls and you know, this this that there's a whole lot of of, of yeah. just just masculinity for for their their part because <laughs> men, but but you know there there's a whole lot of energy there that's so different. Like you said, like 
Federer seems like the chill, like the James Bond <laughs> yeah, right, guy right. kind of strolling in. And then you have you have Rafa who's coming out like a bull, you know. So and they've both obviously achieved incredible success. So, you know, you have to find what works for you. What what That's what's right. your zen? You know, That's like what, what's your zen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right on. Well, yeah. It's tough. It's tough to fight these internal battles of where is your mind wandering off to? Is it wandering to the past or the future? Or is it really staying in the present? And and the key is, as you guys know, is that the top players that win the close matches and the add-in, add-outs, those big mega points, they're the ones that kind of manage their mindset more. They're They're in the here and now. Yeah. And the intermediate, intermediates are kind of somewhere else, you know? Absolutely. I mean, you you finish off the section in the book, you say, mentally tough competitors keep their minds full of strategic intentions, not drifting into the what ifs. And that's so beautifully stated. I mean, the strategic intentions, I mean, so if you're training your mind, Yes. To, to strategy versus, well, what if this happens? Yeah. And there And there's a whole lot of training. It, it, that doesn't just necessarily happen naturally. That no, I don't think, well, I think it's all. You're, this is happening in that. So if this, yeah. that, you know. And these are all learned behaviors. And the sad part is the poor choices and habits are learned behaviors too. And once they get ingrained, it's extremely difficult to reroute bad habits like this. So it takes a little bit of time. Usually it takes two or three months for an athlete to reroute their mental or emotional skills too. So we have to be patient. We have to give it time. Definitely. That's important. Yep. And so your, your final subtitle here, this section um, you call visiting their peak level. Um, this one's so much fun because <laughs> I think um, whatever sport, if, 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 if you've been an athlete um, yeah. in whatever situation, whatever sport you were, you were in, this happens, you know, so you say athletes visiting their peak performance level is the first experience playing free from judgment and worry. So again, that idea of freedom, that idea of. Yeah you know, kind of swinging away or, or, or <laughs> yeah, but, but free of, free from judgment and worry when you, that peak performance say, you know, some people will say, you know, you're in the zone or, or whatever yeah. it might be. Um, but so, so yeah, so take us, take us through um, how you got to this, this idea of visiting a uh, peak level. Well, we, we all see it. We see it with our athletes. We maybe even see it when we, play or used to play that mm -hmm. you can visit your peak performance level uh, but usually once you're in it oddly enough we pull our own selves out of it by right. judging like oh my god i can't believe i'm doing this great how do i keep on what can i do to make sure this happens all the time right right and that turns on your judgmental mind right exactly yeah <laughs> how many times have you guys like hit an ace and then you go dang I got to see this. And now you look down <laughs> to see it and you double fall. And at the very next point, 
you know, I, I've, I've always felt that I, I could more easily shrug off mistakes than I could shrug off when I impressed myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I, I think I, I spent more time training to let points go, let a mistake go that was more prevalent than in my training to if I hit a winner and and something unexpectedly good happened, <laughs> I wasn't quite as adept at dealing with impressing myself versus disappointing myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right on. You know, and, and so I would try to, you know, do that again. Be like, oh, well, that was cool. I want to do that again. Nope. <laughs> Well, usually, yeah, when you know, <laughs> which is always fun, but I I pretty much suspect you're a, I would say close to an ENFP personality profile when they mm -hmm. talk about Myers Briggs. Yeah, and with that profile, you guys can play like once you really feel like it and you want to play like <laughs> divine intervention. You're playing like a tennis god, but then as soon as you get bored, <laughs> right then. Crap! It's like, the fan. You know, I'd be like, I, I, for a lot of people. I can but, think of of, of a, a specific match where it, it was so lopsided, it was so bizarre. It was like, go out there. I lost the first set, oh six. <laughs> then I kind of uh, re re set, and I won the next set, six zero. <laughs> and so completely lopsided. And, uh, you know, I knew I was tense in the first set and I knew I wasn't performing. In the end. And then in the second set, it was like lights out. You know, I don't even know how I'm doing stuff I'm doing. And so then going into the third set, it was it, it, there was so much that was convoluted in my mind. I was like, I don't know if I can recreate that that shot that I somehow yeah. came up with, you know, but I don't want to tighten up and not be able to hit like it. Like I started this match. I mean, it was, it was a mess. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it was such a mess, you know, but I actually won that match and, and I, I bring this up in, in regards to this section because it, what it didn't have anything to do with the physical. Yeah. Oh. Going into that, 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 you know, 10 point tiebreaker for the third set. Um, a lot of times the person that wins the second set, I mean, you've seen this a million times, then loses the tiebreak because they were playing from behind the whole time. So they're focused the whole time and then they even out the match and then they go, okay. Yeah. So they relax a little bit. And then that person that won the first set, lost the second set now they're like recharged yeah <laughs> you know so it goes back to we talked a lot in the last chapter about momentum you know those shifts of momentum and so with this thinking okay because again awareness like what was i doing before what was working what was not working what was happening this during that and how to approach this last set and and it was funny starting out the tie break, uh, this, this other lady and I were both so nervous. We were both like barely hitting the ball, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like, we'd played these two crazy sets where she came out and just 
could not miss. And then in the second set, you know, like I said, I'm impressing myself. And then we get to the third and we're like playing mini tennis out there. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> <That> <laughs> so, <thunders. laughs> exactly. You know, and so, so those momentum shifts, these ideas of responding to, you know, the pressures of the setting, um, the, the two different matches, you know, the physical match, the yeah. emotional match. I mean, that all comes into play. I mean, in this section, when you get to the solution part, you say your athlete's self-perception is forming and it's the parental job to help assist their view. I love that. So your athlete's self-perception is forming. And it's the parental job to help assist their view. And so it goes back to earlier, you were saying, if the parent's just harping on your backhand stinks, you know, then the player's going to hear my backhand stinks. And so yeah. in the pressure situation, you're like, well, my backhand stinks. You know, I can't trust that back, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so taking it back to the parental role here is how do you help form that self-perception you know and it goes back to the idea of of wisdom you know uh, uh, knowledge and wisdom so if, if a parent is aware of how their child reacts in different situations um and they can help mold that self-perception um you know you can turn it in a good way or in, or in a bad way. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's probably a little too simplistic, but, but I don't know if parents and coaches for that matter, but definitely parents, if they realize just how much they are assisting in the athletes forming that self-perception, just how much input the parent has in that. And it's huge. Yeah. Well, they sure, yeah, they have, they have a, a big influence because, you know, if, if we all get 168 hours a week, you know, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, even the top athletes train around 20 hours a week. So that how many hours does the athlete have with you, the parents and the family? So right. obviously, you know, 100 hours maybe, depending on the school schedule and all that. But I think with per perception of match play, we have to try to educate our, our our athletes that they shouldn't be afraid of missing. They shouldn't be afraid of losing. Right, right. Their whole issue really is just hit the shot the moment demands. If you make good mistakes, which is making the, the correct mistake, you should be going for that shot anyway. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Uh, so, but if, you know, making bad mistakes is obviously doing the opposite, right? That's when they're hitting reckless and they're, a little wacky but on the other side too that it's our goal to try to get our kids now at this higher level to take this idea about being good after good and start to take that deeper and deeper so at first good after good is just you know when athletes begin when you started to play it's can you do a good stroke good after good mm. and they start to compete can you play a good point good after good can you play two sets good after good can you play two matches good after good? Uh, and so can they repeat it? And and that's what actually makes them actually great is can they repeat it over and over instead of just visiting it once in a while? So 
Yeah, absolutely. That goes back into just one of the chapters we just did where you're talking about stacking momentum. Yes. You know, how how do you stack momentum? And 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 that is so key to what you were just saying. But um you finish out this uh this final solution section saying um athletes cannot outperform their belief system. And I love the simplicity in that statement of just because it's true again this is one of the things that's that's true to tennis but but in the the greater world of you know your belief system you know yes. and and parents have probably the one of at least the if not the greatest role in molding a player's their child's belief system you know, belief in themselves, yeah. beliefs in what they can do, beliefs in their training, their preparation. And so the idea that athletes cannot outperform their belief system, I, I just, it's kind of a, another one of those things that you go, okay, I kind of had this funny idea that, that yes, but then when you just say it, just, just plainly like this, athletes cannot outperform their belief system. I'm like, oh Yeah. You know, and you watch it at at the pro levels when even even um at Wimbledon, uh when yeah. Djokovic lost, he just lost in the in the final. Um yeah, that one swing volley that he didn't exactly hesitated exactly. on one and, and that cost him probably. Right, right. But you know, for for the other player going up against Djokovic you have to believe that you can win. Yeah. If you go out there and you don't believe you can win, it, you, what, are, what are you really doing? You know, you're yeah. only reinforcing the fact that you believe that you're not going to win. If you play right into whether it was, you know, people feared Serena, people feared Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, you know, these things. But then when there's that breakthrough, I mean, I remember when, uh, way back when, when Andy Roddick uh, beat Sampras and, you know, it was sort of hailed in the press as, oh, this changing of the guard, you know. And and so the idea that that a very young Andy Roddick could come out and, and win against Pete Sampras, he had to have a belief that he could. And yeah. so this statement that that athletes cannot outperform their belief system, I mean, it just that was sort of the light bulb that went off for me. I was like, I remember watching that match on TV yeah. when Andy Roddick beat, you know, Pete Sampras. And I was like, what? You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but when, when you start to see these and, and we're in a unique uh, position right now with with um, American tennis on the men's and women's sides where you're starting to see some of these younger people break through and and you know again just watching Wimbledon and then following statistics on on Twitter or whatever you know they're saying you know it's been this many years since somebody that wasn't named uh you know Federer Nadal or Djokovic or Andy Murray was in there you know or one you know but to have that belief that you're going to walk out there and these guys have been dominating the game for so long, but somewhere in there, you have to believe that you can do it. And so where does that come from? And so I think it fits into what you're saying in this section, that that is another one of the parental 
job descriptions is molding it, that belief. Yeah, and, and we, I'll give you just a couple of my opinions on that because I think it's a probably one of the most important topics when it comes to tennis. We, we know that a lot of tennis matches are won or lost before a single point is played, right? Right. A lot of athletes go, look, that girl beat my friend Kelly and beat my friend Zoe. And if I can just get three games, I'm happy. So right. she's already presetting that she's probably not going to win, right? right. Um, I think we have to get our athletes too, but our parents as well to reframe that success is any athlete just playing at their peak performance level for the duration of a whole match. And if you can exceed your peak performance level that's even better but winning or losing is irrelevant that's right and it's hard to do um i was working i'll give the example i was working with a, a a gymnast and she was totally petrified about the event um and we worked for about two weeks on her mental emotional skills and she went it was in new york city i think it was even madison square garden but she oh, wow. did this big national event which is you know, just getting in was amazing for most people. And the highest she ever scored at a national, I think, was uh, 8.0. The judges hold up the cards. So she goes in, she gets an 8.6. Oh, wow. Okay. And she's happy. She goes, oh, my God. Right. I, Exceeding I, expectations. I now, the very next uh, next day, a Russian girl gets like a 9.4 and wins the whole event. Well, does that mean that our girl didn't succeed? No, no, she totally did right. because she actually, she got an eight point six, a personal best. Yeah. You know what they call the you know the PB. Yeah. You get your personal best. Yeah, that's right. So anyway, that's kind of a I think a key with our parents is to try to get your athletes to think about staying in their peak performance level and how can they manage the momentum. And one of the easy ways to do it is they if they can just take uh, they could take paper. Uh, or uh, any, any kind of paper, but they just do what's called a um, a line chart. So all you're going to do is the start of every set. If your player wins a point, you go up. If they lose a point, you go down. If they win a point, go up. Win a point, win a point, go up. Lose a point, go down. Okay. Lose a point. And anyways, if you do that to the course of the match, you really see the roller coaster ride that a lot of athletes take, where they're, you know, they are in momentum for a couple but they're downward negative momentum and they can see visually see their momentum shifts mm -hmm. and i think it's important for That's kids to realize that. I've, I've never i've never charted a match that way you know there's so many uh, different ways to chart a match and, and I, I, hope, uh, I hope at some point because i know you have some some fantastic uh charting um, ideas and so we should go through that at some point but but I love match charting and and but I've never done it that way like the up and down that that is, yeah. that is very interesting and um to me it's it's a meaningful one on this topic anyway but you know every chart is customized to the needs of the athlete at that certain stage so look it's a long ride it's it's a beautiful fun ride yeah. uh, and, and when you're in it it could be emotional roller coaster for you as parents because you're ecstatic you're just so happy you're 
athlete performed and won this match and then two hours later they play like a toad and they lose some and so now you're mad and the same day your emotions just go like crazy and right but i guarantee you're gonna miss it when when it's done and you're oh, you're kids yep. off at college playing for college there's there's the, the big one yep you're um, gonna miss it. this is fun it is it is you know, so as as we wrap up today, um, so we're wrapping up chapter seven. Again, the title of chapter seven is sabotaging athletic performance, and uh, the quote that you led off with is "discomfort leads to growth." Um, so, just just in a wrap up as a final statement, um, what uh, what else do you think? You know, kind of just is going to wrap up the chapter seven for us. Well, I think. Um... It would be meaningful if we sit down with the athletes, have them do a life skill assessment, mm -hmm. and then start to pick apart some of the things that you think uh, are a little bit weaker and mm -hmm. have them obviously do that, you know, the Googling idea that we talked about. But uh, yeah, enjoy that process. Um, obviously, those are all very important when they go to school, when they go off to college, they're going to need to be... Uh, the kind of kid that can solve their own problems. We want them to be independent problem solvers. Yep. Yep. So they're not dependent. Yeah. Yeah. So yep. that's what you're trying to create. You you want your children to solve their own problems at home because when they get on the court, then they're going to be very comfortable solving problems. Yep. yep. So try not to be a helicopter parent. Try not to be the kind of parent that thinks you're doing a good thing by hovering over and doing every little thing for your child. You're, you're actually stunting their growth. Yeah. This idea of, um, you know, preparing your child to enter into battle. So yeah. In a sense. Um, and as a parent that, that can be hard if all you want to do is protect your parent, uh, protect your child, excuse me. Um, but you know, that, that idea of, of, the preparation and that's another word that we've used i think probably in every show <laughs> yeah. yeah but but where does that confidence go back to where 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 do these things link up that's where it stems from isn't it confidence yep. right yep you remember the old um, navy seals quote they have it i, I live in and, and down by uh, san clemente and there's camp pendleton right down here in southern california <laughs> but on the wall at the marine base is a uh, we don't rise to the occasion. We sink to the level of our training. Yes. Yeah. And that's great for athletes, isn't it? It sure is. I, I mean, that, that, and, and it's a statement that might make people kind of stop for a minute and be like, wait, what? And then you go, oh, that's, that's really true. Yeah. You're going to go back into, you're just going to go back into, the, yeah, your habits like, and your comfort zones again, like you, yeah, do, you know, the routines, the rituals, you know, that that's that's where you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a good one. Well, Frank, thank you so much. Um, chapter seven, uh, this has been wonderful to, to talk through with you. Thank you, um, for getting into some of the deeper insights to, to what, what you've said in this chapter. Um, we look forward to, to chapter eight coming soon. And again, um, we, uh, be on the lookout because, um, we have more, 
uh, exciting, exciting work coming, coming from Frank in the future. Um, so mm -hmm. whether you're following us on YouTube or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, um, you know, thank you so much for watching and, uh, we appreciate you. We're here for you. Um, so thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah. And Frank, thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs>